Praise the Lord. Well, it doesn't seem like much, really. If we could give him our best, what would that be? But yet to God, it's such a great thing, isn't it? Amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. So I'll tell you what we'll do tonight. I'll give my best, and you do yours, and let's see what he'll do with it. He's already given his best. So let us give our best and see what God will make out of this service for us. Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, we'll read verses uh, 19 and verse 20. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars, or the seven, or the angels rather, of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. How many believes in sevens in the Bible? I love the numerics of God, don't you? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace tonight, Lord Jesus. We ask that you speak to us by your word. Maybe we'll be benefited tonight, Lord, as we gather around your word. Thank you for your presence, Lord. We come now to worship and singing and clapping our hands. But now we're going to worship and receiving the word. We just ask that you would help us minister to every need tonight, Lord. You know that you're mindful of us. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we ask it. And the saints said, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Let's look again tonight by the help of the Lord at the church. God, in his ways, is so much different than ours. In the way that God chooses to reveal himself, by his characteristics, God is identified by his characteristics. God chooses numbers to reveal himself. He chooses colors to reveal himself. He chooses measurements. He chooses all kinds of things that would seem peculiar to us, even though they're in a human realm. God dictated certain size for the tabernacle to be a certain, certain size. So many handbreads, so many cubits to do this and that and the other. Every one of those things has a significance in the way that God chose it. And it's the same way with the colors. You know, seven colors that make the rainbow, uh, the half rainbows, you and I see it. The perfect rainbow comes to be a complete circle, reflects itself only in one, one color. So all of that has something to do with the way that God wants to reveal himself. God chose to reveal himself in the Gentile church ages by the number seven. And that was that God could have had five church ages, if he wished, which would have been the number of grace. He could have had 12, which is the patriarchal number. He could have had 40, which is 50. He could have had all the different numbers that God uses. But God chose seven because seven is the number of completion. So God is going to do something in building in those seven church ages something that he himself is the only one that could ever do. And that was build out of those seven church ages a mystical body. I believe we're part of that tonight. Now what Satan wants to do then, if he can confuse us or stop us from believing that God has numerics by which he moves in, then what he'll try to do is confuse us on how those numerics tie together. Or he'll try to confuse us to where that he'll make us look and see to try to see a five when it actually ought to be a seven. Or when it ought to be a seven and Satan will try to tell us that it's an eight. Or he'll try to make us believe when actually there's only one in the Godhead that there's actually three. 
So you see, the numerics of how we look at things in God are very, very important. Now, we don't want a God of our imagination. You realize that's what many, many people have today. And they are worshiping not the God of the Bible, but a God of their imagination. Some folks in the message are doing the same thing. They're worshiping a God of their imagination. That's exactly right. I don't want a God of my imagination. Then I'll tell what in the world he'd be. But I want the God of the Bible. Because the God of the Bible is the God of truth. So whenever we look then at how God chose to reveal himself this way, if we start seeing the symbols and the types of the way that God has set it forth. And, and you know, we're, we're a different people. We're a prophetic class of people. We're an eagle people. We're a people who look at things in a different way, a typologist people. The average church person knows nothing about typology. They know nothing about any of those things. So to hear us talk about it right up front, they think we're a bunch of nuts. But whenever we go to changing our mindset toward typologies, symbolism, and all of that, then there is a danger on the other side. That Satan will try to push us so far towards such typologies that we break away from the simplicity of the gospel. Now, types are beautiful. They are wonderful when they are kept in their place. But all it takes is a little bit of removing a type out of where it has been laid by divine order by a prophet of God, simply taking that type, removing it from there, placing it somewhere else, and then you break the type. A real type of God will follow all the way through, but you have to be careful with it because even with, say, the life of Joseph, Joseph in the Old Testament, and he was a perfect type of Christ, perfect when I say perfect in the symbolism of the Old Testament. But yet there was types, parts of Joseph's life that did not type the Lord Jesus because Joseph told something that was not the truth and that could not be the Lord Jesus. So you have to follow a type when it comes through. When it breaks, you break with the type and then resume the type when it's picked back up again. You follow me so far? Three of you, the rest of you, no? Okay. So, now whenever we look then at the numbers 7, 8, 5, 40s, 50s, 144, all the different numerics of God, we must keep them straight in order to be able to understand exactly what God is doing and also understand where you are. Now, let me show you like this. Say somebody stops you, you're going to stop and you want to find, uh, you want to find Wendy's. And somebody said, well, you go down here to this traffic line and you go up uh, miles. You said, no, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. How many miles? Oh, that don't matter. Just go up miles. Go up miles, and then you'll run into another road, and then you go right. And then you go miles, and then uh, you'll see uh, something, and then you'll go, uh, and you, you want to. So does the number matter? Does the number matter? Alright, so then we as the people of God, numbers matter to us in the sense of identifying where we are and how far we've got to go and how far we've come. So God does that as it were spiritual signposts to help us to see the symbols of where we are. Now notice Revelation chapter 4 verse 2. And immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne was set in heaven. And one set on the throne. Now notice the numerics. And immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne. There wasn't three. 
So the Father didn't have one, the Son didn't have one, and the Holy Ghost didn't have one. Now remember, the numerics are important. You see, many folks worship a God of their imagination, and this is what they see. A father, an old man, they see a young man, which is a young man sitting over on his right hand or near his right hand, his little boy, and then they, they're not sure exactly what the Holy Ghost is because he's a devil sometimes, he's a spirit sometimes, so they don't, they're not sure exactly what it is. But when John looks into heaven, John only sees a throne. And he saw one that sat on the throne. Now, notice the symbolism again. If John would have saw one throne and three in it, which would have been quite crowded. But John didn't see one throne and three in the throne. But John saw one throne and one on the throne. So if there's another God in heaven, he's sitting in the floor. He ain't got no throne. He ain't got no kingdom. Now remember the numerics of the Bible are very important. So John saw one that sat on the throne. And he, not they, he that sat was to look upon like a jasper. Notice now, a jasper and a sardon stone. Now notice again that God is taking symbols. Naturally, this was stones of the earth. Yet it's not so much just because of the chemical makeup or the chemistry or the biological makeup of the stones, the molecular structure of the stones, but it is because of the color that these stones are chosen. In order to reflect the deity of God in this phase of chapter 4. Now God reveals himself in colors but the color will change from chapter to chapter according to the personage that he wants to reveal. Everybody with me tonight? Now what? So he that sat upon the throne was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine which is two stones mixed together. So you take the light of God, shine it upon those stones as they converge and then they would mix out a certain color and this is what God reveals himself, this color in chapter 4. So notice he says it was a jasper and a sardine stone and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. Now we see then that John looks and for the first time a human being sees the rainbow the way the rainbow was intended to be seen in the first place and that is a full circle. Now none of us, I don't care how old you are, how many rainbows you have seen, you have never seen a full circle rainbow. You cannot see one on this earth in its present condition. What, what, what shape do you and I see a rainbow in? Half circle or semicircle. It is never intended to be seen in the full circle until the glory of God moves into the fullness. So here we are. We're on the half side of the rainbow because the half has never yet been told. But when John looks and sees him, he does not see a half rainbow, but he sees the full rainbow in a complete circle. 
Praise be to God. So you was a rainbow which was round about the throne, forming the complete circle or the type of God's completion or perfection which was now being revealed. Now, even though it was the color. Now, notice the, the rainbow that Ezekiel saw in the book of Ezekiel and also the one that John saw were the same rainbow. They were the rainbow of the color of deity. Now, of course, the rainbow that Noah saw, the rainbow that we see is made up of seven different colors in the spectrum of light in the way that through the water droplets as the sun hits the water droplets and it shapes a little prism, a little tiny prism and as it comes in, it begins the blue, the red, the indigo and on and on, you know the colors and they reflect the colors as a covenant in time and it only makes half of a bow on the earth. But when John looks, he sees a rainbow which was completely circled around the throne of God and it is not indigo, it is not blue, it is not red, it is not orange, but it is the color of deity. Now the seven colors reflected upon the earth show an earthly covenant. What is a rainbow? It is a covenant sign between God and man that a sacrifice has been accepted. Let me say it again. When you see a rainbow, it is a covenant sign between God and man that a sacrifice has been accepted. So when Noah comes out of the ark and he offers the sacrifice unto God, God said, I do set my bow in the cloud that you'll be able to see it. What was that a sign of? That the sacrifice of Noah had been accepted. But it was only half of the rainbow reflecting in seven distinctive colors. But here when John sees it, now we're fixing to enter into another stage. Now, of course, God is fixing to smite the earth and he's going to strike the earth with judgment but this is a covenant between him and the earth even though I'm fixing to smite you under the judgment of the tribulation I make this covenant with you and I I will not annihilate you this I do not give you the earthly colors the seven hues by which I gave to Noah I give you my own personal color of amber or emerald green now notice that John, John as he beholds and he looks and sees a rainbow round about the throne so you know when you and I look at it and say oh how beautiful it is and truly it is beautiful but can you imagine what it's going to be when it is a circular green around the throne of God even though he's going to bring the judgment upon us I said he will not take it away but he's making a promise what is the color of the rainbow the color of the rainbow is reflecting the future promise of the earth. God is saying to the earth, here, look at my color. I give you the significance. I once again will bring green flowers, green grass, green trees, green hills. I give you my color. Amen. I give you my color as my promise. I will bring green back upon you again, planet earth. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. Notice in Revelation chapter 4, the prophet said when John saw him here, where, what was it? The day of redeeming was over. It was all over. So he's seen him back in his original condition, an amber color. Now notice then God chooses to reveal himself in various colors, but this is his original color. God's original color of light being the amber, the yellowish green, and leaning towards hues of the emerald. 
But when you look at God under the covenant of the blood, and you look at God through the covenant of light, through the water droplets and the prism, then what do you see? You don't see the original, but you see the seven colors, which are signifying God's mercy and grace dealing with the human beings on the earth. But when John sees him, he's back in his original condition. Well, glory to God. You folks are looking at me awful funny tonight. Now, watch his soul. He was back in his original condition, an amber color. Not only just half the world. The sun can only shine on the half of the world at the time as it goes around. But when John saw him setting to look upon as a jasper and a sardis stone, amber colors mixed the two together, you've got amber and an amber color around the throne. Notice again our Revelation 4.4. 4. And around about the throne were four and twenty seats and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Notice now all the sevens, the sevens over and over again. Let's look at the number seven beginning in the book of Genesis chapter two, verse one. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made and he rested rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. Praise the Lord. Do you all honestly think that I correlate these sermons to fit together this way? Do you think that I've just studied this for Wednesday night and this for the weekends to where they both would land up on the sevens and the eights? I realized it the other day whenever I was studying, I thought, Oh, my Lord, how did you do this? How did you do this so the Wednesday night and the weekend is going to be going the same direction? I told Carlos, I hope they don't think that I do this. Notice this in verse 3. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which God had created and made. Now what's seven then? So seven is completion or rest time. Chapter seven, verse one. And the Lord said unto Noah, come down all thy house unto the ark, that for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean beast shalt thou take to thee by sevens, the male and his female of the beasts that are not clean by to the male and his female. Now watch the seven as it runs right down through the canon of scripture in the Old Testament. Fowls also of the air by sevens, the male and the female, to keep seed alive upon the face of the earth. Verse four, for yet seven days and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights and every living substance that I may will I destroy from off the face of the earth. So here is seven and the seven was the clean the clean animals, right? But notice, when it comes now to destruction, 40 is temptation. 40 is suffering. 40 is judgment. 40 is great difficulty. And if God would have only let it rain seven days, perfection, the earth would never have been annihilated or washed off the face the way that it was. It required 40 because 40 is the number of temptation. And the earth was going under such a great, tremendous, 
struggle because of what man had done. And you'll notice all of these numerics now as they go down through the scripture. Exodus chapter 12 verse 17. Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. Even the first day you shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. Now, no doubt they wondered, and they may still wonder to this day, why was God so particular about the days? What difference does it make if you do it one or three or five or six or seven? Well, first of all, if God said seven, then that's important enough to me. But God don't just say it because he randomly picks a number. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Which one should I go? God don't do it like that. God has a significance and a spiritual application that he wants to apply Notice this in God's provided place. The prophet reading this, seven days shalt thou eat unleavened bread. Seven days, what does that typify? The complete seven church ages. So if there's an eighth age after the seventh church age, that means they're starving to death. They ain't got nothing to eat. It also means they have no blood. Because we're fixing to read where the priest is going to stripe there seven times. Praise the Lord. So if there is a bright age, and we believe there is, that bright age must fit in the confines of seven. Now, if, we, if you have the right understanding, you know that you have no problem putting eight in seven if you've got some eighth-day people there. You see, those that are baptized in the Holy Ghost and truly born again, they are already in the eighth day in their soul. Yeah, their body is still in the latest in their church age in time. Now watch, he said seven days. What does that typify? The complete seven church ages, seven days. Why they have to eat it seven days? Before what? Before going out. And the whole church age from the beginning to the end has to live only on the word of God of that age. Exodus 13, 6. Seven days shalt thou eat unleavened bread and in the seventh day shall be a feast to the Lord. This is why we're feasting. Praise God. He didn't promise feasts in the days of Luther. He didn't promise a feast in the days of Pentecost. But he promised a feast in the last day. This is why, friends, don't worry. Brother Donnie, oh, I'm scared you're going to run out of things to preach. Don't worry about it. As long as I stay in the presence of God and rest these men in the presence of God, you will never run out of things to eat on. That's right. Why? It's a promise of God that the last day, the last feast day will be just that, a feast day. We don't have to kind of allot it out a little bit. You know, we got little bitty teeny uh, bologna sandwiches and we just got to slice them up so small that, oh my, just barely smell of it every now and then on Wednesday night, Brother Donnie, surely we can have a good service on Wednesday night. Don't tell me. I think we can. Don't tell a lot of these folks here because I think they believe we can have just as good on Wednesday night as we do on Sunday. To me, we can eat just as good on Wednesday night. Well, come on, you got to have a bad service. Says who? Says who that we can't eat? I mean, talking about good stuff. Three times a week, four times a week, whatever, how much ever we gather, our Father has a table spread. Why? It's feast time. 
Notice verse 7. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days. And there shall be no leavened bread seen with thee. Neither shall there be seen leaven in all thy quarters. Which is the house where they lived in. Exodus 21. 1. Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. If thou buy an Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve us. Now watch. A man's going to buy a brother. You know, a nephew, whatever he is. He's going to buy a slave. According to this law of God. In the seventh, he shall go out free for nothing. So you pay $1,000 for this man, and you know what? You're, you're right up to there, and boy, the guy's in a hard spot, and he has to sell himself. He has to absolutely sell himself in order to redeem his family and help his family make it through. And whenever you've got him for that period of time, but when we're year seven rolls around, and the seventh church age comes, and the trumpet sounds, he can walk out of your barn. He can walk out of your sheep lot. Why? Because the Word said he can go free. On what year, though? Seventh. Not sixth. Not Wesley. Not Pentecost. Amen. Praise the Lord. Notice Exodus 23.10. And six years shalt thou sow thy land. Thou shalt gather in the fruits thereof. But the seventh year thou shalt let it rest and lie still. That the poor of thy people may eat. And what they leave, the beast of the field shall eat. In the manner thou shalt deal with thy vineyard and with thy olive yard. So every seventh year, they're to let the fields rest. They're to let the berries, all the, the things that grow out on the wild, they're to leave them alone. Well, how are they going to eat? God said, I'll provide enough for you in the sixth year that you'll have double more than what you even need. But you keep my words, you obey. You know, that's, that's the thing with, with paying tithes. That's the thing with sacrificing your time to go. People say, I just can't go to church on Wednesday night. I just can't afford to pay my tithes. I can't afford to give a missionary offerings. No, the truth of it is you can't afford not to. Because if you'll do your part, God will make sure you've got everything you have need of. Oh, but I could go to church, but I'd get there 15 minutes late. I'd rather show up 15 minutes late than stay home. Go to Walmart. Well, praise the Lord. Uh-oh, some of you didn't like that part, did you? Notice this. You liked it all right. Praise the Lord. Six days shalt thou do no work, and on the seventh day, the six days thou shalt do thy work, rather, and on the seventh day thou shalt rest, that thine ox and thine ass may rest, the son of thy handmaid, the stranger, may be refreshed. Notice what the seventh is. Then the seventh is a breaking of the dispensation from a time of great labor. Don't you understand why the value of the token has such significance in this end time? God does not want us laboring and wondering, am I bride? Am I not bride? Have I got the Holy Ghost? Am I in? Am I out? Am I foolish virgin? There is not only a great message in the land, but there is an assurance that comes with that message. And what does it produce? Godly rest. That your account has been settled. Your sins are annihilated. You're born again. You're going to heaven. You found your name in the book. Praise God, church. This could not be so in the sixth church age, only in ours with such an assurance. Notice Exodus 24, 16. And the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And the seventh day he called unto Brother Random. I mean, he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud. So on the seventh day, God calls to his prophet 
from a cloud. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't believe all that cloud stuff. I wasn't even talking to you then. I was talking to me and the rest of these believers. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Notice Exodus 25, 37. And thou shalt make the seven lamps. Now we're talking about the menorah. Of course, going into the, uh, the place of worship thereof. And they shall give light, the lamps thereof, that they may give light over against it. Notice again Leviticus chapter 4 verse 5. And the priest that is anointed shall take of the bullock's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of the congregation. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle of the blood seven times before the Lord, before the veil of the sanctuary. Now notice this, seven times. Seven times, seven stripes. Notice the prophet in Christ. Then inside, coming through the sprinkled blood at the door. Remember, it was seven stripes. The seven stripes spoke of the seven ages. Seven church ages. So if the bride age is not in the Laodicean age, you move beyond the stripe of the blood. Leave it where the prophet placed it and everything will work fine. Notice the seven stripes spoke of the seven ages, the seven church ages. Seven is God's perfect number. No other way of redemption, only through the blood, through the seven years. Six thousand years, even to the millennium. Nothing but the blood will be recognized any time. A public testimony to the blood comes life. Notice again he said, They took the blood of the heifer, called it in a charger, went to the doors of the tabernacle, and there they smeared seven stripes across the door. Probably not even knowing, why do we even do this? Why are we even putting seven? What difference does it make? But to God, it had a significance. Or you say, well, just put how many ever you want to. Well, then that had been how many church ages they would have been. How many ever they wanted to. But God wanted seven. Well, if God wanted seven in the Old Testament, I don't figure that he's got to have some of these poor old guys in the message that felt like they're so smart to tell God he needs eight in the end time. If God wanted eight, he should have had eight stripes, eight seals, eight thunders, eight church ages, eight vows. Praise the Lord. Then this worshiper sprinkle one, separated one from the things that's coming now must. He enters into the door to look at the blood, not a creed, not a denomination, but to the blood of the dead sacrifice. You must remember, and seven times this was sprinkled, which means all 7,000 years that human beings will exist upon the earth. So here we have one actual reality now of the stripes, and they reflect two types. It reflects the seven church ages, and it also reflects the 7,000 years of the human existence under the covenant of God. To go beyond that breaks every type and symbol of God himself. Leviticus 23, 15, and you shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. 
even to the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall ye number 50 days and ye shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord and ye shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves. Now remember all these numerals now and all the numerics of God so you're going to have so many feasts and you're going to have so many days and then you'll count seven Sabbaths and then there'll be 50 days after that and then you've got to bring two wave loaves. Well why not three? Why not round it off to five? God said two, God meant two. God said seven days, God meant seven days. There were seven stars in the right hand of Jesus. John didn't miss count and say, oh, oh, there's eight in there. I'm sorry, I got them two that's messed up. His... Notice, ye shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of two tents, deals, they shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits unto the Lord. You shall offer with the bread what? Well, let's just do nine. Well, how come? Well, let's do eleven or twelve or maybe maybe twenty. God said seven. God wanted seven. Seven lambs without blemish of the first year and one bullock. Notice all the numerics. Seven, one, two, one, two, three, five, seven. Does it matter? Oh, I said numbers don't matter. Really? Your sisters believe that? So you mean it's okay if your husband have more than one wife? What about it, brothers? Is it okay for your wife to have more than one husband? If numbers don't matter, I mean, really, does it really matter? Let her have five. Well, why don't you just have one husband that you do all the bill paying and let her have five boyfriends? You got a problem with that, Brother Jerry? Really? He's a legalist, ain't he? He'll have a problem with such I was having five or six boyfriends. So numbers do matter, don't they? That's right. Amen. You shall offer with the bread seven lambs without blemish of the first year. Even age mattered to God. And one young bullock and two rams, and they shall be for a burnt offering unto the Lord, with their meat offering and their drink offerings, even an offering made by fire of sweet savor unto the Lord. What am I trying to show you? All through the Bible, God uses these numbers. Verse 24, speaking to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall you have a Sabbath, a memorial, a blowing of trumpets, and a holy convocation. This is the Feast of the Trumpets. Now verse 34, speak to the children of Israel, say, the 50th day of this seventh month shall be a feast of tabernacles for seven days. Joshua chapter 6, verse 4. You think I'm crazy on sevens. Joshua 6, 4. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day you shall compass the city seven times. And the priests shall blow with the trumpets. Seven, seven, seven. New Testament, Jude, verse 14. And Enoch... Also, the seventh from Adam prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Praise God. 
Revelation 1.4. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace be unto you and peace from him which was, which is, and which was, and which is to come. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Now you see it's not just Old Testament terminology but it is old and new together. The old is the husband. The New Testament is the wife. They merge together to make the Holy Union or the Holy Bible. So we see seven there, we see seven here, and we see seven now. Seventh church age. Revelation, notice this, chapter 1, verse 11. I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in the book, and send it unto thee. Seven churches which are in Asia. Let's skip down to verse 12. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, girt about the paps of the golden girdle, verse 16, and he had in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Verse 20 the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the golden candlesticks the are the angels of the and the whoa Seven, 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 and more sevens. The seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Chapter 3, verse 1. Unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. So what do we see God doing now even under grace and mercy and salvation by the blood still dealing with the same character of the Old Testament God using his numerics. Divine numbers by which he chooses to reveal himself. Now when we break the continuity of that word, oh you said it's just a little common something. No friend, it's not a little simple something or another. When we're breaking those types of the word of God, we're altering God's character. We are changing God's character and we are reshaping and fashioning ourselves a God into the image and the shape that we think he is. This is why some of the message folks do not want a God who sovereignly chooses his own people. Oh no, some of the message folks cannot handle it. That God ordained his elect before the foundation of the world. So what do they do? They make themselves a God which is after their own image. A God which is shaped by years and years of church age dogma and doctrine. Of Arminianism which places man's will above the will of God and they are worshiping a God of their imagination. And when they hear the God of the Bible preach a God of sovereignty, a God of election, a God of predestination, they resent that God and they say, I don't know him. And I agree, they don't. Because they're worshiping a God of their imagination. Well, hallelujah. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. That's what I said. I don't want a God of my imagination. I want a God of the Bible. I want to take God for what he is, for the way he says he is, and say, lay my ideas aside. Well, praise the Lord. 
Revelation 5, 1, and I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with eight seals. Oh, 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 oh. oh. Now, wait a minute. If there's eight ages, there's got to be eight seals. And there's got to be eight stripes. So if there's no seal for an eighth age, if there's no stripe of blood, I don't want to be in it. Do you, in all reality, Brother Wayne, want to be in an age when there is no blood speaking for you? Now, maybe some of y'all have reached perfection, and you do not need to repent. Well, I don't understand the world you're living in. You're smoking marijuana. You're on oxycodone, corzone, and all the rest of them dones and all that stuff, all them oxycontins and everything. I live in a real world. I I still need the blood of Jesus myself. I know there's some around the message don't think they need it no more. Well, they need it worse than we do, you know, because they're spiritually off as well as naturally off. Praise the Lord, Brother Donnie. Notice verse 5. One of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose. How many seals? The seven seals. Verse 6. And behold, and lo, in the midst of the throne, the four beasts in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having how many horns? Seven horns and how many eyes? So where's the eighth horn? But now, friends, I know you don't understand because I do my best to try to keep you protected from a lot of this nonsense. But in reality, a lot of these men around the message that are preaching that we're in another age, they're doing it to create a spot for them. That's the whole purpose. And then everybody has to look to them. That's why they come riding a white horse upon their pulpit. Literally. On their platform. So if I ever do that, commit me, okay? Because you know I flipped out. And this is why they do such things. In order, why? Because they are projecting by their claims that they are an eye. They're an eye. So they have, they see things that we don't see. I say amen to that. <laughs> Glory to God. I'm glad I don't see some of that garbage. Well, we're seeing things you all don't see, and then that's why you have to come to us. But there's no horn for them to fit on. So what they do is come over to the seventh horn, and they want to knock Brother Branham out of the way, and we're beyond Brother Branham now. We don't need Brother Branham no more. And a lot of these message preachers just stand up and quote Brother Branham, and they preach Brother Branham. Well, we don't need Brother Branham's quotes. So go on to hell then. That's what you want to do. I still need them myself. I want to check what I believe by the seventh angel's message and the scripture. But what do they do? They want to knock that seventh eye out of the seventh horn and place themselves on that seventh horn and say, now you listen to me. No, we don't. And we'll be nice about it if you'll be nice. And if you ain't nice, we'll call your name and expose you that you're a liar and a false prophet. Any way you want to do it, it's the way we'll play game. Woo! Brother Donnie, you better not say that. Oh, but I think I better. I want the devil to know. And anybody here and anybody around the world, I ain't scared of him. Oh, no. Part of my 
position in this age is to represent part of the strength of that horn. For my Lord, I will stand. For my Lord, I will die. For my Lord, I have been persecuted around the world and I will continue to do so. Y'all with me? So you got seven horns, you got seven eyes, which was a messenger, and each horn, the horn representing the church, of course, then the seer, the eye, the age, and you got the seven spirits or the seven manifestations of the Spirit of God, and you've got seven stripes, and you've got seven seals, and you've got seven vials, and you've got seven thunders. I find no room for these eight today, guys. Well, oh, wait a minute now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I just now thought of something. There might be room on that scarlet colored beast. Woo, we better not go there. Revelation chapter 8 verse 2. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given... Seven trumpets. Now remember, these are the trumpet angels, not the church angels. Amen. Seven trumpets. Revelation 10, 1. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud. And a rainbow was upon his head and his face, as it were, the sun and his feet as the pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book. The family diary, it's a lot smaller than the big book. Amen. And he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth. And he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he had cried, eight. So all these folks that are in the eighth age have no thunder. They've got a lot of lightning. Seven thunders uttered their voices. So they have no thunder to anoint the voice. What are the seven thunders? The mysteries of God revealed in the seven church ages. Simple. Notice, and when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write. Look for it. John knew what the seven thunders said. John was about to write it. And it was not patience, virtue, temperance, knowledge, so on and so on. That's another one looking for a place to try to replace the eye. Or you see some of them's got more sense than to say, well, we don't need Brother Branham no more. So they say, well, we're, we're, we're Joshua or we're Caleb. And we're sent to bring clarification to what Brother Branham said. Because Brother Branham is just a Kentuckian. And you know, Brother Branham, uh, you know, he misquoted scripture and he, he misquoted dates and things like that. You know, which he did. He was a human being. <laughs> he was a human being. That's why y'all should love this message so much. It's, you know, it's got all the human side in it. Like y'all have got all the human side in you. I've got all the human side in me. Right. Oh, but well, you know, God sent me. I was one of the ones with Brother Branham and I've done this and that and the other. And he called my name and referred to me on table. So did Judas, called Judas. But that ain't saying too much, is it? 
So, well, I, I, I'm the one that's supposed to go out and, and straighten the people, the message out. Look, friend, it's the same old thing over and over again. When the prophet left the earth, they started looking for positions. He hadn't been dead. And in the grave, hardly no time until they started looking for positions. And they're doing the same thing up to right now. That's why we've got them from Arizona. We got them from Trinidad. We've got them from South Africa. Now claiming to be Elohim. A preacher down in South Africa preaching that his church is the literal gate to heaven. I thank God for the truth. I thank God for a church where we can go and worship God and sing. Just love Jesus. Don't you? Don't you just thank God for some good brothers around here that try to preach messages that exalt the Lord Jesus? Just bring praise and honor to the Lord Jesus. Well, praise God. Amen. Notice Revelation 10, 5. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and swear by him that liveth forever and ever who created heaven and the things that therein are and the earth and the things that therein are and the sea and the things which are therein that there should be time no longer. But in the days of the voice Oh, man. John, why didn't you say 8th or ninth or 10th? Or, you know, I've read Malachi 4. I don't know how many times since I've been in the, in the message. I've never found a Malachi 4 and a half. I've looked down at verse 5, Brother Terry. I've, I've went to the Diglot. I've went to the Hebrew. I've went to the Concise. I've went to all them different places and tried to figure out where that you could slide something in between. Behold, I send it to you, Elijah the prophet, before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the hearts of the children to the fathers. And I've looked at that, and I, I, I've, I've tried to scoot it apart and raise the letters up and look around and see if there's something I missed somewhere. The very best I can do. I can't find no promise nowhere. So I'm a simple person, as you know. I finally come to the conclusion is there ain't none. That's why I'm not looking for a great one to rise up. I'm looking for Jesus. I'm not looking for a prophet, nor the son of a prophet. Well, praise be to God. Oh, sure, if God wants to send us an Agabus here at Happy Valley, I'll take him. Absolutely, as long as he stays in that word. But if he leaves that word, I'll rebuke him. Because he's a false prophet. Any prophet that leaves the word is not anointed of God. Amen, brother Donnie. Any prophet that'll put dreams and visions and sensations and emotions and what more above the word of God ain't standing in this pulpit, not as long as I'm pastor. I heard it thundered out from Jeffersonville just last week, standing up in a public meeting, taking scriptures that the prophet of God applied to the Holy Ghost, that he will guide you, he will lead you into all truths and applying those scriptures to Brother Branham and saying that it was Brother Branham. Blasphemy! No, I don't apologize. Well, praise God. Branham ain't our Holy Ghost. Brother Branham ain't Jesus. Brother Branham ain't our Savior. 
How in the world did I get into that? Notice Revelation chapter 15, verse 1. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. Oh, man. Seven angels having the, last, having the seven last plagues. For in them is filled up the wrath of God. So no promise of an eighth age. I'm talking about time age. No promise of an eighth eye, an eighth horn. Ten virgins notice this. Six days he labored. The seventh he rested. That's complete. See, seven. Six days he labored in the world. First 2,000 years, destroyed by water. Second 2,000 years, Christ come. This is the third 2,000 now. At the end of the 2,000, something happens. The world is shook back again. In the 6,000 years he built the world, amen. 6,000 years the church labors against the world. And the 7,000th, the 7,000, listen children, is the millennium reign. Understand it now? The church has had seven ages also. God, that's the complete number of the church age. Seven is God's completed number. But you see, friends, God is not just completing the doctrine. God is completing the individuals. This is why many folks in the message are still searching. The message is finished in the days of the seventh angel, but they're not finished with it. So they went so far and stopped, went so far and stopped. So they go to look, and now they're looking for a Messiah. This is why they want it. This is what they're still looking for another messenger. Why? Many of them haven't received the Holy Ghost. And that deep something down inside of them, they think, it, they think it's a Messiah. They think it's a, oh, one of these days that they'll find a tape at Jeffersonville that they've never played before. On oh, that tape will be the very secret of the, of the rapture. How to get out of That's contrary to Scripture. Amen. Enoch did not walk with God by listening to one tape. Enoch walked with God day by day by day by day. But it's much easier to play a tape than it is to live a godly life. I grant you that. Praise the Lord. So what did they do? Because they're missing something down inside of them. And then they go saying, well, it's the church. It's Happy Valley. If I could leave Happy Valley and go over here with so-and-so, I know I'd be a better person. I'll tell you one thing. It's Brother Donnie. Oh, I know it is. I've been having a funny feeling about him lately. I've been feeling really strange. His hair getting gray. He's noticing me look at his eyes. He come out after church and now his eyes are as red as fire. He's on something. It's called sweat. It runs down out of my eyes and makes me red-eyed. It's a deep revelation. Oh, it's Brother Skip. It's the trustees of the church. If I could get away from the church, I, I know I'd be better. And they up and leave and go wherever and before long, they're feeling the same way about that church. And then they go over here, they feel the same way, then they go over there. Well, others don't do that, but what they do is they search. So they get on the internet and they're looking for this one fantastic message preacher that has all the answers. Well, if you find him, let me know so I can label him a false prophet. Because only a false prophet has all the answers. Oh, praise the Lord. 
Well, uh, Brother Donnie, you know, bless his heart, he does as good as he can. But poor old fellow, I mean, y'all know that he didn't graduate even from high school. He's illiterate, really. And, you know, he's just got old country ways. And, you know, poor old guy. I mean, I love him. I, I believe he's a good man. He's sincere. But, boy, this other brother, oh, my, you talking about preaching. Oh, I've heard things I ain't never heard in my life. That right there lets you know something right up front. If he's the only one preaching it, you better run from it. But why do people fall for such stuff? Because there's something missing within them. There's something missing within them. If you ever get sealed with the Holy Ghost and find your position in Christ Jesus and find the pastor that you're used to sit under, you'll be discouraged. You'll fight battles. You'll have ups and downs, but the devil can't run you off because you have hard times. You know you're supposed to be there. That's just as important to you as any other. Say, come on, children. And under that ministry, you will grow and be changed right into a new body. But if not, you keep looking, you keep searching, you keep looking for an eye, and you're looking for this and looking for that. And some of you ain't found an eye, but you found a tongue. That tongue was hooked to a big, long tongue preacher. Look, friends, let's just face the facts that all these guys are kingdom builders, and that's the bottom line. They are kingdom builders, and they're looking for people to build up their kingdom. Praise God. That's why they're so politically correct. Show many of these kingdom builders that really take a stand on, on controversial subjects. Some of these preachers that I know around the message, I don't even know what they believe. I've been around some of them for years. You know why? Because they ain't going to tell you. Because you might tell somebody else. And that might be the opposite of what they told that somebody else. So they're not going to really let you know. Look, if you want to know what I believe, ask me. I'm real secretive about what I believe. I keep it to myself. <laughs> yeah, right. Notice the prophet said the church has had seven ages. That's the complete. No room. No room. For an eighth messenger. No room for another eye on top of the seventh eye. I figure if you try to put an eye in their eye with that seventh eye, you're going to be cross-eyed. Before long, you ain't even going to know what the truth is. Well, praise God. Amen. Notice Revelation chapter 5, paragraph 201. There's seven seals. There's five sevens in God's plan of redemption. Now, notice again. So we've got the threes, we've got the fives, we've got the sevens, and then we've got five sevens in the plan of redemption. Five is the number of grace. How many knows that? J-E-S-U-S-F-A-I-T-H. Faith is the number of grace. Six is man's day. Seven in his day of redemption. Now watch, there's seven seals and or seven stages in this great plan of redemption. There is seven what? Seven seals of redemption, seven spirits of God, blasphemous names. God is building in seven church ages a bride for Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's skip over, Brother Eric, down to the first seal, paragraph 144. The Laodicean church age is the Last age. Praise God. Actually, it runs right up to the end of the, going right up to the tribulation period, going right up into the millennium. 
runs right up to the end of the, tri- the beginning of the tribulation period. There's no other age. It backs right up to the tribulation. There's no room. There's no room for another messenger. Praise God. Notice, the thing of it is today, the church grain don't want to mature. It wants to stay back like it was in Moody's time, Sankey, Finney, Knox, Calvin. They were all right. They were the light of the hour. But this is another hour. This is another day. This is the advancement of the gospel. It's coming to its maturity. So we can't live in what Luther said, Wesley said, or some of the rest of them. We're living in the light that's predicted for this day. Amen. We're in the seventh church age. Not the third or the fourth church age. The grain should be able to receive it. If it doesn't, it falls off and it means nothing to it. The grain is matured with the light if it goes on ahead with the light. So if the light stops at the seventh church age and yet we have some that say we got more light and you move on, then what have you done? You've moved beyond the light of your age. Then you're no longer laying in the presence of the light of your age. Now you've got to go to so-and-so and so-and-so and read this one's books and go to this website and find out everything he's got to say in order to be rapture ready. So you've left your light. Can I have a little bit more time? Notice this. Again, turn on the light. Remember, this is the seventh church age. The Laodicean church age. According to Revelation 3, they reject Christ. Of every church age that was mentioned in the Bible, the Laodicean was the worst of them all. We can all say amen to that. Oh my. It turned him down, rejected him, put him on the outside, bear me record. The seventh church age, which is the Laodicean church age. Well, we would admit that this is the Laodicean age. Congregation says, we don't believe that. Or some message congregations can't say that to that. You ought to be happy. Happy, happy, happy. Happy, happy, happy. Glory. Happy Valley, that's right. Notice now in the future home, we live through all these types. And when you hit the eighth, you go on into eternity. You don't come by laws and rituals and orders. You come by predestination. Amen. There is a genuine holy convocation. And we're ending, notice, the seventh church age. Church age. The Pentecostal age. Did you see it? We're entering that holy convocation. Now you have to be very careful when you're putting the prophet's quotes together that you don't make him say something that he himself said different later. Uh Uh-huh. When the fullness of time has come, that's when it's been fulfilled, when there's no more time. Then, when there's no more time, then you go on into eternity. After the seventh church age is over. And it is. All right, now let's be careful though. You see, if we just search right here and stop saying, see, see. No, you're going to see. Now friends, this is the danger with this type of a message that we have. 
of pulling out this quote, putting it with that one, pulling it with that one, pulling it with that one. Before long, we've got a picture, all right, but it's a cow on the top of the tree eating grass. to the seventh church age is over and it is Luther's age is over Methodist age is over Pentecostal age is over now you're going to what into eternity notice now how beautiful see in this pyramid we see seven steps then the king's chamber (sighs) paragraph 239 I just read to you where he said the seventh church age is over and it is Paragraph 376 of the same message. We're in the seventh church age before the king takes his throne. So are we in it or is it over? Both. We're in it and it's over. But you see, it depends on your thinking. It's not the quotes. When are you ever going to grab this? It's not the quotes. It's the thinking of the individual and how they take quotes and scriptures and put them together or eliminate certain ones. All you've got to do is not even add to one that he said, but simply eliminate another quote or another scripture that will counterbalance your thought. It's not error in the word. It's not error in the Bible. It is people's human thinking in the way they put it together. And if they put it together to get you to see something, It's like a salesman trying to sell you a vacuum cleaner. I'm sure there's got to be some salesman in heaven. God will do it just to prove he can do it. There'll be lawyers, no doubt. There'll be insurance salesmen. Doctors. Even a few preachers, I'm convinced. Oh, my. Now, now he says the seventh church age is over, and it is, and then he comes down and says, we're in the seventh church age before the king takes his throne. The Feast of Tabernacles was the last feast, the seventh feast, and we're worshiping now under the Feast of Tabernacles. The rapture, 12, 4, 65. And now that's the age that we're living in right now. Now, so here's the man who coined the term Bride Age. Bride Age is not found in Luther. Bride Age is not found in Wesley's writings. I've not found it anywhere else. In all the historians that I've looked at, I've not found that term anywhere else. So it was used by Brother Branham. Right? So your Brother Brandon, after using the term Bright Age, which he introduces, I think, the first time in 1465, and here this is December of 65, and after he introduces the term of Bright Age, he still believes we're in the Laodicean Age. How can you be in both? Duh! How can you be born again to eternal life and still living in this old pest house at the same time? It's as simple as looking at yourself. In your soul, you're in eternity. In your body, you're a prisoner of war. Oh, praise God. Let me close. Now, that's the age that we're living in right now, the seventh church age. Again, the rapture, paragraph 122. So now notice Enoch, the type of the church. Here he's also typed in the 
Now, why didn't Brother Bam say the bride age? Well, he could have. To the spiritual ones, it had been the same thing. What is the bride age? It's that allotment of time at the very end of the Laodicean church age. When the focus is on the bride. And the bride getting ready, the bride getting prepared. But it's in the slot of time in the Laodicean church age. Can you notice that? The seventh church age. Notice at the sounding. How many believes that there's been seven messengers for the seven churches? Oh, we all believe it, he says. If we believe the Bible. Oh, that could be part of the problem. We've got some of these eight-day people that don't believe in the Bible. If we don't believe the Bible, of course, see, we don't believe it. But there has been now. Everybody say it with me. Now. You're not saying it like I'm saying it. Now. I don't care who he is. Any preacher, I don't care if he's white, black, red, yellow, if he's got purple polka dots and pink stripes. If his revelation will not allow him to quote this quote and say what the prophet said, he's a false prophet and a liar. Brother Branham says, now we're living in the seventh church age. Brother Donnie, my revelation takes me beyond him. Well, that's where you want to go. That's up to you. Because you see, now you've come to where you're the absolute. It ain't the scripture, and it ain't the quotes. You'll pull them through your warped head. Woo, Jesus. When the Bible said this is the seventh church age, when the messenger of the seventh church age begins to sound his message and the mystery of all things has been twisted up down to the age will be revealed in time and the seven watches like the seventh watch of one come. He didn't come the first watch, second, third, fourth, but he come in the seventh watch. That was Enoch, the seventh, which was translated. So we're in the seventh church age. And the church said, Amen. But we're in the bride age. And the church said, Amen. I'm a creature of time. And the church said, But I'm a person of eternity. I'm sinless, perfect, without fault, pure, undefiled. But I'm sorry, rotten, low down, no good. Now, how come y'all are saying more amens to that than the first part? (laughs) Praise the Lord. Why? That's the balance. The middle of the road is always the hardest place to find. Let's stand. Let me read one more before we pray. Modern events made clear by prophecy. Notice this date, 12-6-65. Do you realize that that's the promise again in this very age that we're living? The Laodicean church age, the seventh church age that we're in now. So the man who said we're in the bride age was still preaching 
next to his last sermon before he left. That we're still in time for the Dave and the Laodicean church age. Although, there are message preachers that say, if you preach on the Laodicean church age, you're blind, you're a foolish virgin, you're not going to make the rapture. Why? Why? This is what the prophet said. Thank God for truth. Thank God that we're able to look in the midst of all this heresy and nonsense. And I quote it to you, my friends, to refresh your memory. The prophet said it was no great thing that Luther could withstand the Catholic Church and get by with it. But it could hold his head above the fanaticism that followed his revival and say straight on justification. I told you years and years ago, you may have scoffed it, you may have laughed at it, you may not have even paid much attention to it. But I told you years ago, it would come to pass. There would be such shame and reproach with being identified with this message. Not from without, but from the people that are within. But what do we do? We keep marching on. We keep pressing the battle and we stay straight. Not only on justification, but sanctification, baptism of the Holy Ghost, seven church ages, eighth day, millennium, eternity, the whole thing. We just keep right on going straight. Why? We're the church. We're the church. If time goes on, Donnie Reagan will die. If time goes on, Tim Pruitt will die. Ed Biscoll will die. All these men who my let on like the message cannot even move without them. If time goes on, every one of them will die. And the church will roll on. It's always been that way. Oh my. But I'll tell you one thing, as long as I'm here, I want to move with the church. Is that your desire? Praise God. Aren't you happy to be a part of the church of the living God? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, thank you tonight for your word, Lord. Oh, Lord God, I I so wish we could come to the pulpit and Lord, be able to preach without having to mention such things. I'm sure Paul would have loved to have wrote in the letters that he had to write and left out some of the error and the false doctrine and even go to mention some men's name and publicly expose them because of the sin and error and a false doctrine they were propagating over and over again. He mentioned their names in the New Testament. I'm sure he would have much rather loved to be able to come and bring mysteries and wonderful truths. But as long as there's truth, Satan will always be there with error to try to mess it up. But Lord God, we want to be so taught in the truth that though error comes around, we will know it, we will identify it, and we will say, that's not for me. And we keep pressing the battle. Help us, Lord. Keep us by your grace. Maybe some heard this tonight. Maybe they're in error. I know there's some who stream these services that are spies, and they like to just listen to me and write down what I say and send it to the headquarters in this part of the world and to another headquarters in another part so they can tell their bishops and their overseers what I'm saying. That's all right. That's okay. Maybe I hope the ink pen burn plumb out of their hand tonight, Lord, when they hear the truth. Help them. Maybe some of them will get saved. Maybe the Spirit of God will strike their heart and they'll realize 
They're under the binds of another denominational spirit. Lord, we don't want no denomination. We want Christ, the Holy Ghost. We love you tonight, Jesus. Thank you for your mercy to us, Lord. I pray you'd go among your people tonight, minister strength, healing, virtue, Lord. We've seen you move right here this weekend among us, Father. We're so grateful. Oh, Lord God, as I saw your hand come down, God, and touch your people and minister to them, Lord. We thank you for being a living God in our midst. We love you, Jesus. Father, I want to pray for Brother Lewis and Sister Linda tonight, Lord. You would just help them, dear God, in this time of great loss of their son. Father, may you comfort them and help them. Lord Jesus, may you undergird them with your strength. Lord, as we gather to have the funeral service tomorrow night, we look to you, Lord. We look to you, Lord Jesus, to give us those things, Heavenly Father, that only you can provide. Oh, God, comfort their hearts, Lord, we ask for your mercy and your grace. Grant it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. We so appreciate His grace tonight, don't we? Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord. Just sing something here before we go. I know your kids got school tomorrow and all that, but let's just, let's just sing a few verses here, a chorus or something before we go. Amen. Ain't God good to us? Amen. He's so good. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. Thank you, Lord. We're marching up to Zion. That beautiful city. Amen. Everybody. somebody's hand tell them I want to see you there that day amen I want to be with you God bless you saints I love you in the Lord let's come back this weekend expecting the Lord to speak to us again of his great word oh we have some wonderful things to look forward to this weekend God bless you remember the service tomorrow night at the funeral home for brother Lewis and sister Linda remembering them in your prayers that God would just be with them and strengthen them if you can come and 
help tomorrow night in the service. It'd be a great help to them and to me as well. God bless you. Go in the fear of God as we sing it. We're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. Marching up to Zion. That beautiful city of God. We're marching to Zion. Oh